When we think of the future of leadership in sales, what, or rather who, do we see? Women in Sales Everywhere and Sales Loft have teamed up to answer this question, and let me assure you, there's no doubt that the future is female. I'm Sydney Sloan, Chief Marketing Officer at Sales Loft. And I'm Alex Adamson, Executive Director of Women in Sales Everywhere. We'll be sitting down with each outstanding female leader on our inaugural Future Female CROs list to discuss everything from their sales philosophies to how they keep their lives organized to how they unwind after a breakneck day. Together, we'll dig into exactly what makes each of these women so extraordinary. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. I am Sydney Sloan, the CMO of Sales Loft. And today I'm excited to speak with Pia Heilman. Pia is currently based in London, where she leads the EMEA sales team at Clavio, a MarTech startup that's based in Boston. We're going to get into that in a second. She's passionate about SaaS and sales and has a wide range of experience across different software companies at various stages. Before she was at Clavio, she was the director of sales at ThreatStack. She's been at Mashery and Meltwater. Pia has a keen interest in the customer journey and is understanding the importance of how to work collaboratively across the business. And I definitely want to dig into that. And I just want to congratulate you, Pia. You were recently recognized by SalesLoft and Wise as a future female CRO. So we'll talk about your career journey, your aspirations, and your keen interest in adventurous holidays and why why you go on um, very adventurous holidays, which I'm sure we're all looking forward to getting back to a few of those. That's the formal introduction, but maybe you could take a second just to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about, about your current company. Yeah, absolutely, Sydney. Thanks so much for having me and for the recognition. Uh, hugely appreciative of the whole network. Thank you, guys. As Sydney mentioned, I'm Pia. Um, I'm over in the London office of Clavio, which is a MarTech company based in Boston. I do have a keen interest. Keen is a particularly good word over here in London. For the customer journey. And I think honestly, that's where my career path has sort of evolved around is my interest in, in working collaboratively with other departments and not solely focused on revenue targets, but really understanding what goes into customers' success long-term at companies. So it's something that I continue to focus on. I will continue to focus on and yes, 100% excited for holidays. We're still in lockdown for another five or so days over here. Hopefully by the time this broadcasts, I will be on a beach somewhere. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, before we get started, we have a couple of traditions in the Hey Sales People podcast. Uh, the first one is, what was your first job in sales? First job in sales was at Meltwater. I did not want to get into sales to be honest. I feel like I hear this a lot from a lot of people, which is kind of interesting. I wanted your job, Sydney. I wanted to be in marketing. My dad was a marketer. We always sat at the dinner table talking about strategy and interesting advertising and things like that, which makes me sound like a complete nerd. But that's what I wanted to pursue. And when I graduated, the market was tough. I was a little late to the game. And the first role that I had in front of me was a sales role for a MarTech company. So I thought, hey, what better way to get into marketing than to sell to marketers? But I got my first taste of sales and have never turned back. That's funny because um, I'm a marketer selling to salespeople and I think it's made me a better marketer. And like you say, the experiences that you have, like walking in the shoes of your counterparts, 
I, I would highly recommend anybody, if you even even want to go into marketing to start a, a role in sales is a good thing because you understand how tough it is and how we better support our friends in sales. So we'll, let's dive, we'll dive into that in a, in a little bit. The second question that we like to ask is, what is one of your favorite books or podcasts that you go to for inspiration? So what I've been reading recently, and I've just started, so I'll have to give a, a longer review later, but is a book called No Rules Rules, Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention. I think one of my favorite sort of topics of the book is this concept of leading with context, not control, and sort of having confidence in the hires that you're making, having a very high bar for who you're bringing into the organization, trusting and empowering those people just scratching the surface on the, the book and the topics, but uh, was recommended by our CEO, AB, and have to dig in a little bit more. If you're looking into the future slightly, you know, you, you just made the future female CRO list. What does success look like to you in the midterm? For me in the midterm, I moved over to London to help launch the Clavio London office. So success three to five years out, would be to leave a legacy here in some capacity, knowing that I have grown a regional office of a large, maybe publicly traded company and developed a playbook for how to open additional regional offices. Whether that's something I bring back to the States or I continue to hop around the world, which I'd love to do, or you know, just apply to a, a single HQ company. So I know it's hard because this last year would be not necessarily typical, but what are some of the things that you've learned so far? So if you, you know, do you have the table of contents for your playbook kind of sketched out? Hiring, I think, would be a, a huge chapter in that. You're greater than the sum of the parts around you. I'm probably totally butchering that actual saying, but hopefully you get the point. Um, it, what I can do alone is nothing in comparison to, you know, the people that I bring in around me or we bring in around us. And I think, especially when you're starting off an office, those first few hires are so critical to establishing culture, process, identity, and the trajectory of the company. So being incredibly deliberate with who you're bringing in, career passing, but also hiring people who are very adaptable because things change so quickly and you essentially go from a startup within a startup into, you know, potentially a huge company by any other standards that the hires are super important. So communication is also something that's critical. Interestingly enough, even though 2020 brought a lot of negatives for us as a regional or satellite office, what I found was that Zoom became an equalizer. We went from being a satellite office where we would dial into conference rooms and be the like few faces on the screen in what's otherwise a 15-person conference room to literally 15 faces on a Zoom, all with equal speaking rights. And it gave us a platform and the communication tools to have equal footing in a way that I don't know we'd have had the same opportunity for in any normal year. So how can I take some of the learnings from that and make sure that if and when we do return to the office, we still have a seat at the table and a voice in the conference room? It totally makes sense. And it's a hot topic right now as we all start to plan what is coming back to work look like? How do we run 
in a hybrid model. It's a good point too, that having, you know, cause I'm a remote worker too. I, I get it. And I commute to Atlanta office. And so have you guys talked at all about kind of what those protocols are, are going to be? It's still a hot topic. It's coming from the top, but establishing those rules. I know HubSpot does a great job of this. Even if there's one person who's remote, they all have to be on screen. I like the concept. I think it makes you more efficient. I think it was a less common for sales reps to be on video, despite all of the research that said, hey, if you have video on, you're going to be more successful. The collaboration thing is key, but I also think there's this like personal relationship building that happens when you're literally staring into somebody else's home in large part, and they're staring into yours. You just establish these sort of like natural relationships. People have dogs running around, kids screaming in the background, and it just makes it much more personal and relational as opposed to, I think, sometimes we're used to the typical exchanges between sales reps and somebody who might be buying software. So not just the internal stuff is changing. I think externally too, there's going to be a new norm coming out of this. You mentioned that you, uh, you're you selling in, in Europe now. It's actually a nice debate going on. I don't know if you know who John Barrows is, but he's got a, a LinkedIn conversation thread going right now. The differences between European sales motions and North American sales motions. And is it, he actually broke it down. Is it harder for prospecting? Is it harder for negotiating? Like what are the lessons learned between selling in in Europe that are different? What have you found? Yeah, I love this topic. It's something that I've found myself learning a lot about and also feel like I'm educating a little around. Like I think we think of Europe and I say we, we as Americans, think of Europe as this big landmass, but there are cultural nuances to Europe. So selling to somebody in Germany is going to look incredibly different than selling to somebody in the UK. And it's really easy to say, hey, Europeans on the whole, there's a different selling motion. And I do think there's a different selling motion, which I'll tell you about in a second. But I also think that I was naive coming over here saying, yeah, it's different. It's more of a relationship sale. It is. I do think there's accuracy to that. But I'm Danish. My dad's Danish. I know that Scandinavians tend to be much more direct. Brits are not as direct and they'll be the first to tell you that they're not as direct. So negotiating with a Brit is very different than negotiating with somebody in the Nordics. There's nuance there that we have to think about, or I guess a lack of trust factor that comes with US software companies depending on the country. Some countries are very comfortable purchasing from U.S. software companies and others have a little bit of skepticism and they want to know that you're committed to their region and that you have boots on the ground, support, somebody that they can turn to, or at least the knowledge that one of their peers has had a solid experience with you, a good experience with you. So there is a lot of relationship building and what we're finding at Clavio, at least is that equally important to the outbound motion or the inbound motion is also leveraging tech partners and agency partners to drive that trust since they're established on the ground here. So a lot of our output here is focused on sort of making sure that we we network, collaborate, get to know and prove success with some mutual customers so that all parties involved are really comfortable with purchasing from us you're a champion of the customer journey and customer experience. And so how have you leveraged that experiences that you've had in previous roles where you're 
advocating for the customer. And now, like, have you brought those learnings back to Clavio? Like, how, how do you manage the unique differences are of the customer needs in your region and advocating for those inside your company? Yeah, again, amazing question. It's something that I think about constantly. This is probably also it keeps me up at night at times. I think there are two components to this. There's doing what's right for the customer. So Clavio, one of Clavio's values is customer first, and we live and die by that. So within the region, there's sort of this cross-functional collaboration that has to happen. I need to very much understand and empathize with our customers. I need to understand what their path looks like from day one that they hear about Clavio, or even prior to hearing about Clavio, just understanding some of their pains and challenges that drive them to seek something like Clavio to once they're a customer, what their experience with Clavio is and how we can continue to be experts to them, whether it's purely product related or more importantly for our sector, you know, e-commerce marketing experts and helping them build their business and own their data. So there's that element, which uh, has been really interesting. And I think to the conversation around the regional nuances, there are things that we think about as subsets of our customer base, different segments, so the size of company, and then also what regions they're in, what their expectations may be as a result of that, and how we can service those based on sort of what we know about those different profiles, those different customer profiles. And then there's advocating for the region within your company, which is again an interesting one for me. I'm lucky to be super familiar with HQ and a lot of the people in HQ because prior to moving to London, I'd spent a year in HQ. So I had the advantage of establishing those relationships and knowing who to go to for certain things. As we've scaled, it's become slightly more difficult because who you used to go to may not own those things in their entirety. But understanding who is invested in what and sort of navigating internally and why it matters to them. Like it all goes back to the why, regardless of whether you're speaking internally or externally, how that's important to growth metrics or the overall company goals and making sure that we can inform and support whatever the overall goals are and understanding sort of our role in that and leveraging that to advocate for growth in the region. I think it's interesting. So there's one thing in here, which is in order to expand internationally, does part of the success equation having a couple of people that understand the core values of the company and, you know, are part of that. And I remember um, reading the book on HubSpot, how they made that as a misstep, that they assumed that the culture that they had could translate, but the references to the Boston Red Sox and all these other things, like it just didn't play. They had to re-realize the need to establish a unique culture for their different offices. And I've been to the HubSpot office in Dublin and, you know, they have like stickers and they have things that I thought that was really a cool way of like recognizing each individual office and what was unique to that yet still having an overarching culture. Do you think that's part of the equation? Like that you should have someone from HQ as part of the founders of that new regional office? I think it helps. What I'll say is that the playbook that I think we will likely adopt, obviously have to have more conversations around this and it would require us opening additional offices, which may or may not happen. But part of the conversation recently has been that that was successful for us. I came over as a manager. Before I came over as a manager, we had a rep come over who was sort of in a team lead role. He was 
not the first sales hire here. He had started working exclusively over here, but they did make a deliberate effort to first find talent that was local. So they found an MD who's familiar with the city, the market, etc. And then they started to file in some go-to market members from HQ. What I think that did was it built sort of a lifeline and established relationships that didn't need to be built. They already existed and an understanding of what the overarching Clavio values were, but still allowed the office here to develop its own identity. I would probably be super unpopular saying this, but I think we've developed an amazing culture over here that is incredibly unique, but still has the core virtues and values there and referenceable and understood. I like to think that we've built something even better over here. Uh, I think everybody sort of believes that, but it's been really fun to watch it evolve, especially as we've moved from like four people to 14 to 97 and continuing to grow. So I do think that will continue to be part of our playbook, at least a couple of sales reps, maybe a manager, but I don't think it's going to be like shipping talent necessarily cross-border, especially COVID honestly has complicated things around that too. I know we were looking into different regions and borders are closed. So it'll be interesting to see. But I do think having familiarity and somebody who knows how to navigate internally prior to opening an office helps with sort of that social capital element, which I think goes a long way. That's a great run, by the way, in terms of the growth of that team. We were just talking the other day, like, in U.S. companies expanding, logically going to another English-speaking country because it's you know easier from a language perspective. You don't have to modify the product. And from a market sizing perspective, if you're selling in tech or in SaaS tech, the U.K. is the largest market. What have you learned since Brexit that you know is influencing other country strategies? 2020 was a fun year. There's a lot thrown at us. Um, Brexit, COVID. I chose a great year to move internationally. What have we learned about Brexit? So uh, I read a stat recently. It's something like 60% of countries in Europe sell or e-commerce stores in Europe sell cross-border, which is huge. The biggest impact for our customers has actually been around shipping, taxes, and uh, warehouses. So you know, you saw everything from small entrepreneurs struggle with how to service customers across border, you know, near tiers or in tiers, because a bulk of their existing customer base was going to cost them a great deal of money to actually service. And they had to rethink their strategy as a result of that to large corporations eating costs or shutting down bricks and mortar. Like there's so much that's changed in this industry over the last year there's so much volatility. I think overall, what we've learned, Brexit is interesting. COVID is interesting. Two things are true. Consumer behavior has absolutely shifted. And empathy for everybody rules all. So whether that's us selling to buyers of software or e-commerce stores selling their wares to like an actual buyer, communication, open communication dialogue, and empathy. Those are the two languages, or that is the language, I guess, the shared language right now that I feel like has been the most effective. And adaptability. We've all learned that as well. And so it's going to be interesting to see kind of this next six months as parts of the world reopen 
where will the waterline reset itself? It's one of these unique points in our lifetime where, you know, we are reinventing so many parts of the economic environment and business models and all of it. And so I think all of us sharing and learning together continue to be part of the equation this year. Last question, which has a little bit to do with the future. So it was, it was great in uh, one of my team meetings today, we, we get personal and professional highlights. And I would say two thirds of the team had gotten their COVID vaccination or were in the process of, of getting it. And just the stories that being shared of what they're able to do now, what is the first thing that once you have the opportunity to safely go somewhere as the adventurer, Pia, <laughs> so what have you been dreaming about being able to do? Oh, this is so terrible. I'm actually going to tell you, honestly, the first stop is home. I've not been back to see my family. I've got two young nephews, one of whom I've met once and he's over a year old. So I definitely need to go home. But the adventure that I've been dying to go on, oh my God, there's so many. I literally dream about it daily. Jordan is huge for me. A bunch of the Middle East I'd love to, to travel through. Africa. I'm dreaming of a beach. I know that I say I'm an adventure. I also love a good beach vacation. Um, so I think those, I did just recently watch, I think it's called Sherpa on Netflix, which is about the Everest Sherpas. And I trekked the Annapurna circuit, which is amazing. If you've not been to the Himalayas, I definitely recommend it. Absolutely gorgeous. But I also think things like Mont Blanc, once I get my beach fix, then I'll, I'll head to the mountains. Uh, and do some cool adventuring in somewhere cool. I'm not totally sure yet, which sounds like a cop out, but I will go anywhere right now. No, it'll happen when it happens. But yeah, for now, I, I was joking. I was watching just the travel channel to get my fix. <laughs> well, first of all, it, it's been an absolute joy to uh, share this time with you. Thank you for all the lessons that you shared with us. I think you know, really for this particular conversation, there were some fantastic lessons about how to think about expanding internationally and the roles that leaders have to play um, in not only establishing the culture and hiring, but how you're serving customers and then advocating for them back within your company. And so I, I can just tell you're going to continue to uh, break through different challenges and continue to set the bar for whatever companies you serve. So Pia, it's been wonderful. Thanks again. And congratulations on being a future female CRO. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This was SalesLoft and Wise's Future Female CROs. Check back next week for another episode featuring an outstanding female CRO of tomorrow. And until next time, this was Sydney Sloan from SalesLoft and Alex Adamson from Women in Sales Everywhere.